0: Part 3 of Korimatsu v. United States This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kelly Robinson in Birmingham, Alabama. Korimatsu v. United States An Opinion of the United States Supreme Court, Part 3 decided on December 18th, 1944. Please note, part 3 is a reading of Mr. Justice Murphy's dissent. This reading does not include a reading of the court's opinion, Justice Frankfurter's concurrence, Justice Roberts' dissent, or Justice Jackson's dissent. For ease of listening, this reading omits footnotes and legal citations found within the text of the court's opinion. This exclusion of all persons of Japanese ancestry, both alien and non-alien, from the Pacific Coast area on a plea of military necessity in the absence of martial law, ought not to be approved. Such exclusion goes over the very brink of constitutional power and falls into the ugly abyss of racism in dealing with matters relating to the prosecution and progress of a war we must accord great respect and consideration to the judgments of the military authorities who are on the scene and who have full knowledge of the military facts the scope of their discretion must as a matter of necessity and common sense be wide and their judgments ought not to be overruled lightly by those whose training and duties ill equip them to deal intelligently with matters so vital to the physical security of the nation at the same time however it is essential that there be definite limits to military discretion especially where martial law has not been declared individuals must not be left impoverished of their constitutional rights on a plea of military necessity that has neither substance nor support thus like other claims conflicting with the asserted constitutional rights of the individual the military claim must subject itself to the judicial process of having its reasonableness determined and its conflicts with other interests reconciled what are the allowable limits of military discretion and whether or not they have been overstepped in a particular case are judicial questions the judicial test of whether the government on a plea of military necessity can validly deprive an individual of any of his constitutional rights is whether the deprivation is reasonably related to a public danger that is so immediate imminent and impending as not to admit of delay and not to permit the intervention of ordinary constitutional processes to alleviate the danger civilian exclusion order number 34 Banishing from a prescribed area of the Pacific coast all persons of Japanese ancestry, both alien and non alien, clearly does not meet that test. Being an obvious racial discrimination, the order deprives all those within its scope of the equal protection of the laws as guaranteed by the Fifth Amendment. It further deprives these individuals of their constitutional rights to live and work where they will, to establish a home where they choose and to move about freely, and excommunicating them without benefit of hearings. This order also deprives them of all of their constitutional rights to procedural due process. Yet no reasonable relation to an immediate, imminent, and impending public danger is evident to support this racial restriction, which is one of the most sweeping and complete deprivations of constitutional rights in the history of this nation, in the absence of martial law it must be conceded that the military and naval situation in the spring of 1942 was such as to generate a very real fear of invasion of the pacific coast accompanied by fears of sabotage and espionage in that area the military command was therefore justified in adopting all reasonable means necessary to combat these dangers in adjudging judging the military action taken in light of the then-apparent dangers, we must not erect too high or too meticulous standards. It is necessary only that the action have some reasonable relation to the removal of the dangers of invasion, sabotage, and espionage, but the exclusion, either temporarily or permanently, of all persons with Japanese blood in their veins has no such reasonable relation and that relation is lacking because the exclusion order necessarily must rely for its reasonableness upon the assumption that all persons of Japanese ancestry may have a dangerous tendency to commit sabotage and espionage, and to aid our Japanese enemy in other ways. It is difficult to believe that reason, logic, or experience could be marshaled in support of such an assumption, that this forced exclusion was the result in good measure of this erroneous assumption of racial guilt rather than bona fide military necessity as evidenced by the commanding general's final report on the evacuation from the Pacific Coast area. In it, he refers to all individuals of Japanese descent as subversive, as belonging to an enemy race whose racial strains are undiluted and as constituting over 112,000 potential enemies at large today, along the Pacific coast. In support of this blanket condemnation of all persons of Japanese descent, however, no reliable evidence is cited to show that such individuals were generally disloyal, or had generally so conducted themselves in this way as to constitute a special menace to defense installations or war industries, or had otherwise, by their behavior, furnished reasonable ground for their exclusion as a group. Justification for the exclusion is sought instead, mainly upon questionable racial and sociological grounds, not ordinarily within the realm of expert military judgment, supplemented by certain semi-military conclusions drawn from an unwarranted use of circumstantial evidence. Individuals of Japanese ancestry are condemned because they are said to be a large, unassimilated, tightly knit racial group. Bound to an enemy nation by strong ties of race, culture, custom, and religion. They are claimed to be given to emperor-worshipping ceremonies and to dual citizenship. Japanese language schools and allegedly pro-Japanese organizations are cited as evidence of possible group disloyalty, together with facts as to certain persons being educated and residing at length in Japan. It is intimated that many of these individuals deliberately resided adjacent to strategic points, thus enabling them to carry into execution a tremendous program of sabotage on a mass scale should any considerable number of them have been inclined to do so. The need for protective custody is also asserted. The report refers without identity to numerous incidents of violence as well as to other admittedly unverified or cumulative incidents. From this, plus certain other events not shown to have been connected with the Japanese Americans, it is concluded that the situation was fraught with danger to the Japanese population itself, and that the general public was ready to take matters into its own hands. Finally, it is intimated, though not directly charged or proved, that persons of Japanese ancestry were responsible for three minor isolated shellings and bombings of the Pacific Coast area, as well as for unidentified radio transmissions and night signaling. The main reasons relied upon by those responsible for the forced evacuation, therefore, do not prove a reasonable relation between the group characteristics of Japanese Americans and the dangers of invasion, sabotage, and espionage the reasons appear instead to be largely an accumulation of much of the misinformation half-truths and insinuations that for years have been directed against japanese americans by people with racial and economic prejudices the same people who have been among the foremost advocates of the evacuation A military judgment based upon such racial and sociological considerations is not entitled to the great weight ordinarily given the judgments based upon strictly military considerations. Especially is this so when every charge relative to race, religion, culture, geographical, location, and legal and economic status has been substantially discredited by independent studies made by experts in these matters. The military necessity which is essential to the validity of the evacuation order thus resolves itself into a few intimations that certain individuals actively aided the enemy, from which it is inferred that the entire group of Japanese Americans could not be trusted to be or remain loyal to the United States. No one denies, of course, that there were some disloyal persons of Japanese descent on the Pacific coast who did all in their power to aid their ancestral land similar disloyal activities have been engaged in by many persons of german italian and even more pioneer stock in our country but to infer that examples of individual disloyalty prove group disloyalty and justify discriminatory action against the entire group is to deny that under our system of law individual guilt is the sole basis for deprivation of rights moreover this inference which is at the very heart of the evacuation orders, has been used in support of the abhorrent and despicable treatment of minority groups by the dictatorial tyrannies which this nation is now pledged to destroy. To give constitutional sanction to that inference in this case, however well-intentioned, may have been the military command on the Pacific coast is to adopt one of the cruelest of the rationales used by our enemies to destroy the dignity of the individual and to encourage and open the door to discriminatory actions against other minority groups in the passions of tomorrow. No adequate reason is given for the failure to treat these Japanese Americans on an individual basis by holding investigations and hearings to separate the loyal from the disloyal as was done in the case of persons of german and italian ancestry it is asserted merely that the loyalties of this group were unknown and time was of the essence yet nearly four months elapsed after pearl harbor before the first exclusion order was issued nearly eight months went by until the last order was issued and the last of these subversive persons was not actually removed until almost eleven months had elapsed leisure and deliberation seem to have been more of the essence than speed and the fact that conditions were not such as to warrant a declaration of martial law adds strength to the belief that the factors of time and military necessity were not as urgent as they have been represented to be moreover there was no adequate proof that the federal bureau of investigation and the military and naval intelligence services did not have the espionage and sabotage situation well in hand during this long period, nor is there any denial of the fact that not one person of Japanese ancestry was accused or convicted of espionage or sabotage after Pearl Harbor while they were still free, a fact which is some evidence of the loyalty of the vast majority of these individuals and of the effectiveness of the established methods of combating these evils. It seems incredible that under these circumstances, it would have been impossible to hold loyalty hearings for the mere 112,000 persons involved, or at least for the 70,000 American citizens, especially when a large part of this number represented children and elderly men and women. Any inconvenience that may have accompanied an attempt to conform to procedural due process cannot be said to justify violations of constitutional rights of individuals. I dissent, therefore, from this legalization of racism. Racial discrimination in any form and in any degree has no justifiable part whatever in our democratic way of life. It is unattractive in any setting, but it is utterly revolting among a free people, Who have embraced the principles set forth in the constitution of the united states all residents of this nation are kin in some way by blood or culture to a foreign land yet they are primarily and necessarily a part of the new and distinct civilization of the united states they must accordingly be treated at all times as the heirs of the american experiment and as entitled to all the rights and freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution. End of part three.